Welcome to Fresh Start Church Online. Our mission is to help people find a fresh start through Jesus Christ. Please let us know if we can pray for you or help you in any way. Now here's Pastor Bruce with this week's message. So we're going to take a look today at, at the topic of uh, carrying each other's burdens. And as, as I mentioned, we're, we're going to look at it from a different perspective than I've ever heard it taught from. We're going to look at a different perspective than anything that I've, uh, any sermon I've heard or Bible study I've been in or, or led. And so uh, this is going to be a challenge for us, but I think it's going to be really good for us. Let's look uh, at Galatians chapter 6, verse 2. If you've got your Bibles, you can turn to that or we'll put it up on the screen or it's also in your outline. Short, simple verse. Carry each other's burdens and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. I have seen that. It's like, it's like many Bible verses that it, it says so much in so few words that they put it on bumper stickers and they put it on little Christian plaques and all kinds of things, carry each other's burdens, or King James says, bear one another's burdens. And it's just an, another one of those one another's throughout the Bible that's talking to us of how to relate to each other um, as Christians. Last year, Valerie's brother passed away unexpectedly, got something like the flu, and they, they couldn't figure out what it was, and uh, went in the hospital, and a week later, he was dead, healthy, strong prior to that, and just totally unexpected uh, that he passed away. And he lived next door to Valerie's parents, and they had always kind of pictured, you know, their, I mean, their, Valerie's dad's turning 80 this year, and her mom's, she might be listening, is turning 39 this year. And, uh, you know, they've kind of looked at our son will live right next to us and he can help do things for us and be there. And, and, and so, you know, it, it would be hard on anyone to unexpectedly lose an adult son. But it was especially hard because they were close and they lived side by side and they saw each other every day. But a man who is in their church down in Palm Bay, a man in the church had lost a son. Not too long before that. And he came alongside Valerie's dad and just came and, and, and tried to comfort him and love him and carry that weight with him because he knew how heavy the weight was. He had just been carrying it himself. And that was such a blessing to Valerie's dad. Because if, if we try to carry a burden alone, it, it can crush us and often does. And so it was such a blessing to have this man just come alongside and, and say, I feel your pain. I really do know what you're going through. And, and just to love on him and pray for him and encourage him. And that just made a huge, huge difference. Uh, earlier this year, uh, Pastor Rick Warren, the pastor of Saddleback Church in California, lost an adult son who committed suicide. Bought a gun, put it to his head. He'd struggled with, with uh, depression and mental illness his whole life. And despite all the best counselors and everything they could try to do to, to help him and give him uh, hope, he, he just lived in a very dark place and took his own life. And 
Rick posted this verse on Twitter not too long ago, and I just wanted you to see his post. Um, he said, Kay and I are personally reading every note we get. Your practice of Galatians 6.2 has left us speechless. Has left us speechless. There's so many people. I mean, they've got 30,000 people in their church, but people all over the country, all over the world that have been impacted uh, by Rick and by Saddleback Church and, and, and just have reached out to them. And, and for the last few months, the, some of the pastors of the largest churches in America have all been taking one week at a turn and going out and speaking at Saddleback. Now, Saddleback's got a huge team of teaching pastors. I mean, they rotate. They've got dozens of men that could, that could preach any Sunday, every Sunday. But pastors who have busy, busy lives, big churches, busy churches, have said, I, I want to come. One way I can help with your burden is to come and speak so that none of your staff has to, so that they can mourn as the whole church family mourns. I just think that's such a huge, huge blessing. And if that's your understanding of this verse, you would be just like I was until a week or two ago when I was starting to prepare for this message because that's the way I've always preached this verse. As Christ followers, Christians, we're part of the family of God and we're supposed to come alongside each other and help carry each other's burdens. And that is true, and there's lots and lots and lots of other verses that would point to that and, and support that, that we should love each other, care for each other, take care of each other, help each other with burdens. But, but I want to show you something different today. Look at uh, verse 1. He's backing up one verse. Now remember, this is written as a letter. Paul has written it to a church in Galatia, and he starts what we've divided into chapters by saying, brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. But watch yourselves, or you also may be tempted. Then comes verse 2, carry each other's burdens, and in this way you'll fulfill the law of Christ. So here Paul is saying, that when there's sin in the church, when somebody has fallen into sin, we're to come help them carry that burden. Now, I'll, I'll be honest with you. If we could all feel comfortable enough to be 100% honest and go around the room, and if I said, do you have any burdens? Well, let's just narrow it down. Do you have any Heavy burdens on your heart in your life. Oh my gosh, we would be here for months sharing because we all have things that are concerning us. We all have people, family members that are concerning us. We've got health or finances or all kinds of things that concern us that are big, big burdens. It's hard enough because we have our own burdens. It's hard enough to think, I need to now, not only do I have all my burdens to worry about, but I need to come help you carry yours too. Oh my gosh, I'm overloaded. I've got, I've got too many burdens. I can't help you carry yours too. It's hard enough to do that when someone else's burdens 
have absolutely nothing to do with them being the cause. When someone else's burdens is something someone else has done to them or someone else is going through with them or some crisis in their life or some trouble in their life that's not their doing at all, it's hard enough to get away from our weight of burdens to say, here, you know, it's not like I don't have enough burdens. Let me come help you carry yours. That's hard enough. But when we look at what Paul's saying here, that if we catch someone in sin, we should help people carry those burdens? Oh my gosh, that means, that's not the like, I feel so sorry for you because you got cancer. I feel so sorry for you because of tragic loss in your family. It's, 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 wait a minute, you did this. You made that choice. You did the wrong thing. I'm supposed to come help you with that? That's a lot harder, isn't it? That's a lot harder. But I believe that's exactly what Paul's talking about here. Because if you go back and read chapter 5, and if you read the first five chapters of Galatians, he's dealing with a lot of problems in the church. He's dealing with false teaching. He's dealing with people that are trying to go back away from grace after they learn the grace of Christ. He's dealing with division and strife. There's all kinds of things that Paul is dealing with in the church. And in the middle of that, he says, if someone is caught in sin, we're supposed to go help carry that burden. Let's just break that verse down uh, a little bit. He starts off and says, brothers and sisters. He's talking about a church family. He's talking about people that are related, not by their biology, they're related by their faith in Christ. We are blood relatives. It's the blood of Christ that makes us brothers and sisters in Christ. And so he's talking to a family. He's talking to the church in Galatia, and he's talking to Fresh Start Church family here in Melbourne. If Paul was alive right now, if he somehow came back from the dead after 2,000 years, he would walk in here and he'd walk up to George and he'd say, Hi, George, my brother, how are you? Actually, he might give you a kiss on the cheek and that would really freak us out today. But that's, you'll greet each other with a holy kiss. There's so many things the Bible says that we just go, uh-uh, I'm not doing that one. I'm not, no, I'm not doing that. But he's writing to a church family. And he says, if someone is caught in a sin. If I were paraphrasing that, I wouldn't use the word if. I wouldn't say, well, if someone never... No, I'd say, when. Why? Because sin in the church is not some hypothetical situation. It's a reality. And and Paul and, and the church members, the family of God in Galatia, they knew... That They knew uh, believers in the church who'd been trapped by sin after becoming a believer. And Paul doesn't mention any specific sin here. He doesn't want us to think, okay, if somebody commits that sin, then I'm supposed to go help them with that. He doesn't single out any specific sin because what he's trying to show us is that he's concerned about how the church family treats sinners in the church, not specific sin. He says, if someone is caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. 
When, when Paul says, you who live by the Spirit, he, he's not talking about some spiritual superstars. Well, if I was as spiritual as that person, then I would go do this. No, he's talking about every one of us who has received Jesus Christ as our Savior. We've got the Holy Spirit of God in us, and we have the option to either let the Spirit of God lead our lives or let our own flesh lead our lives. Our, our sin nature and our fleshly desires, it's still this battle going on. Now, the Holy Spirit gives us the power to say no to sin. Because of, of, of what Jesus did on the cross in dying and then rising from the dead for us, sin no longer has dominion in our lives. But it still has influence in our lives. And a lot of times we, we fall for temptations. We make the wrong choice. But Paul's saying those who, are, who live by the Spirit, who are led by the Spirit, who are seeking to follow God, trying to live out their faith, people who are trying to act, and in this case, react. Not the way they would react, but the way the Holy Spirit of God would want them to react. Being controlled by the Spirit. So, so our first family responsibility as Christ followers is the restoration of people in the church family who have fallen into sin. We want people to be restored to God and we want people to be restored to our church family. Sin shouldn't surprise us in the church. It disappoints us. We might be sad or disappointed because we want God's best for every one of our family members. We want the very best. We, and we know the best is when we obey God and we follow God and we serve God. And we want that for each other. And so it's sad when one of us falls into sin. But we shouldn't be surprised because we all are still sinners. We're forgiven sinners we're trying to follow Christ, and as we do, we become more and more like him, and hopefully sin less and less and less, but as long as we live on this earth, we're still going to commit sin. Only, only when we reach heaven are our sins gone, never to be seen again. Now, they're gone, paid for, but then we'll never sin again. We'll never sin again once we arrive in that perfect place called heaven. When somebody in the church family falls into sin, it doesn't mean the end of their faith. It doesn't mean the end of their relationship with God. It shouldn't mean the end of their relationship with the church. And it certainly shouldn't be the end of of a church. What's important is how do we respond when it happens? How do we respond when it happens? And so Paul says when a member of our church family falls into sin, it's an opportunity. It's an opportunity. We look at it as, oh, it's tragic. And yes, it is. It always is. Sin is tragic. Sin does absolutely nothing good for us. It's always tragic. But... Paul says it's an opportunity. It's an opportunity to see how are we going to act? How are we going to react? What are we going to do? It's an opportunity for us to display the fruit of the Spirit 
joy, peace, love, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control so that we can restore someone. If we respond based on how we feel, based on our flesh, it won't be good. But if we respond based on the fruit of the Spirit, the Spirit of God living in us, people can be restored. And Paul says when people in the church sin, if, if we're following the Spirit of God, then we need to restore them gently. How many of you have ever been in a church where someone in the church fell into sin? We could, we could do cheers. We could point. We could... Everybody. And if you were ever in a church and you didn't think anybody there ever fell into sin, they were just hiding it. Trust me. A pastor friend of mine, he passed away a number of years ago. But he used to go kind of serve as a pastor to pastors. He would, he would go to churches and just meet with pastors and, and, and counsel them and just, you know, just trying to... Uh, kind of firm up their their faith and their life and encourage them. And he said, you know what I found, Bruce? He said, I found that in almost every single case, these men had either already had an affair or they were thinking about it and they already had the person picked out in their mind and getting down into their hearts. That's heartbreaking. Heartbreaking. And what he wanted to do uh, was, if I can prevent this, if I can cut it off at the past by coming in and offering some, some ways of dealing with burdens so they don't crush us and we end up doing something so destructive. I've been in church all my life. I've been in churches where people stole money from the church. I, I, I've been in churches uh, where family members, church family members, uh, committed adultery, where they uh, were overdosed on drugs, where they came to church drunk, where they came to church high on crack, where they lied. I, I've been in churches where people cheated on church elections when they were voting for something and cheated. And it was usually... The leaders that cheated. I've been in churches where church family members had homosexual affairs. I've been in churches where they got arrested for child abuse, spouse abuse. Um, one man that was our next door neighbor and active in our church is spending 10 years in prison for sexually abusing his children. And he and I used to meet for quite some time every day before work, and pray together. And I wish I'd known of the burden that he was carrying. I wish I knew. I wish I knew ahead of time. So maybe, maybe it could have been prevented. So maybe I could have come alongside of him and, and, and helped him put up some safeguards and, and get the help that he needed and do those things. Instead, I'm the one that had to call him and say, the police are coming for you now. Your wife and kids are here with us. Don't leave the house. Breaks our hearts. When we see people do those things, it breaks our hearts when we're the ones that have done those things. 
How many of you have ever seen a church gently restore someone who fell into sin? We've all been in churches where somebody falls into sin. But isn't it a shame that it's so rare to see a church gently restore people who have fallen into sin? We were members of a really good church years ago. The people were awesome. The pastor was a great Bible teacher. The church was growing. Lots of young families. Lots of great things happening with kids. I mean, just lots and lots of good stuff happening. But when someone in the church fell into sin, they brought down the hammer of judgment and justice. And every single time, it drove that person away. Every single time. They weren't restored. I, I may have told you once, but a friend of mine, I, his brother worked for me. And with that particular church, when you joined the church, you signed a pledge saying, I'll, I'll, I will attend at least two different things during the week. You had small groups during the week, options, and and Sunday school and worship service and a Sunday night service. So out of all those options, as a member, you said, I'm going to come for two of those things. I, I promise that. And, and, and my friend didn't keep that commitment because he got addicted to cocaine and was arrested and in jail. So they wrote him a formal letter of reprimand for having broken his attendance Commitment. Nobody went to see him in jail. Nobody went to say, hey, can we get you into a, a Christ-centered recovery program when you get out? What can we do to help you? No, it was boom, bad boy, bad boy. That's not what Paul is saying. I'll be honest with you, that's what's easy to do. It's easy for us to get mad. It's easy for us to criticize. It's easy for us to condemn somebody or judge them. But that's not what God once, when I was serving as pastor of New Hope, because I had seen that, I didn't want us to be that way. I didn't want us to be that way. When somebody walked into church drunk on Sunday morning, I was thrilled that they were there, not somewhere else. And we got to see drug addicts and porn addicts uh, restored. We got to see marriages restored. We got to see families restored. And that's what I want for this church family. I want us to see people, whether they're from outside of our family and they just start coming, or inside of our family and they fall. I want us to see people not driven away from the church. I want us to see people restored so that they can become the man or the woman that God wants them to be. Christians have always struggled with this. Local churches have always struggled. What do we do with sin in the church? It's, you kind of don't want to talk about it because it's just a hard topic. It's just, it's just hard. But it was hard back then. The religious leaders in Jesus' day, they hated sinners. They were merciless to sinners. They just pounded them with judgment. Judgment. They didn't try to restore anybody. They wanted to stone everybody. I mean, they were just, they were just outraged. And that's why they didn't like it that Jesus was nice to people. That Jesus hung out with notorious sinners. 
they didn't get that that's what Jesus is all about. And that's what the church is supposed to be all about. It's not a, it's not a country club for saints. It's an outreach mission to reach people and bring them into the family of God. And it's a hospital for those that are here that we should help each other and not cut each other off. You know, I think the reason why it's so hard for us to deal with sin in the church is because really, and I know I know, I struggle with this a lot. I think most of us do. I want God to forgive me when I sin, but I don't always want him to forgive that guy when he sins. I want God to restore me, but sometimes you go, well, he deserves that. Why in the world? I mean, it's just easier. It's easier to jump on somebody's back than to put our arm around them in love. And I'm not talking about condoning Sin. Jesus never condoned sin, but Jesus loved sinners. And if we hadn't, we wouldn't have any hope today. I want to read you a short story from a pastor named Michael Cheshire. Michael, a pastor out in Colorado, and this is his book, talking about the church, Why We Eat Our Own. As soon as I saw the title, I thought, oh, I, oh, I'm, oh, I get it. Oh, I get it. I want to see what he has to say. Let me just read you this. this when I read this, to be honest with you, I couldn't handle it. Because of my critical spirit, because it's easier for me to condemn and cast off than to forgive and restore. So if this like shakes you up, it might not. But if this shakes you up, I, I've literally held on to this for months now. I never even told Valerie about it until yesterday. I just thought, oh. So let me read it to you. Michael says, I didn't plan to care about Ted Haggard. After all, I have access to Google and a Bible. I heard about what he did and I knew it was wrong. I saw the clips from the news and I saw the HBO documentary about his life after his fall. Anybody familiar with Ted Haggard? He he was a pastor out in Colorado. Thousands and thousands and thousands of members in his church. He would speak at church conferences all over the world. was highly regarded. And Ted was caught in sin. Multiple layers of sin. Turns out he was going to a hotel and he was hiring a a male uh, masseuse. was actually a prostitute. And he would have this man come and have homosexual sex in the hotel. And would take illegal drugs while doing it. And when all that was uncovered, all of Christendom was... Shock! It always breaks my heart when I hear something like that because I know how much it, it damages the, the, the reputation of uh, the church. And, of course, he lost his church and all kinds of other things happened to him, but that's, that's who we're talking about here. I honestly felt bad for him, but figured it was his own undoing. 
when the topic came up with others that I know in ministry, we, we would pretend to be sad, but inside we couldn't care less. One close friend said he would understand it more if Ted had just sinned with a woman. I agreed with him at the time. It's amazing how much more mercy I give to people who struggle with sins that I understand. But the further their sin is from my own personal struggles, the more judgmental and callous I become. I'm not proud of that. It's just where I was at that time in my walk. But all that changed in one short afternoon. A while back, I was having a business lunch at a sports bar in the Denver area with a close, close atheist friend. He's a great guy and a very deep thinker. During lunch, he pointed at the large TV screen on the wall. It was set to a channel recapping Ted's fall. And he pointed his finger at the TV and said, that's the reason I will not become a Christian. You know, many of the things you say make sense, Mike, but that's what keeps me away. It was well after the story had died down, so I had to study the screen to see what my friend was talking about. I assumed he was referring to Ted's hypocrisy. And I said, hey, man, not all of us do things like that. He laughed and said, Michael, you just proved my point. See, that guy said sorry a long time ago. Even his wife and kids stayed and forgave him. But all you Christians still seem to hate him. You guys can't forgive him and let him back into your good graces. Every time you talk to me about God, you explain that he will take me as I am. You say he forgives all my failures and will restore my hope. And as long as I stay outside the church, you say God wants to forgive me. But that guy failed while he was one of you. And most of you are still vicious to him. And then he uttered the words that left me reeling. You Christians eat your own. Always have. Always will. That still just rocks my mind. Because absolutely nothing that he did was right. And, and, and as a pastor, we're supposed to be able to a higher standard. And so when we mess up, it's even worse. And he was, you know, such a public figure. Just heartbreaking. Paul says, when someone in the church family falls into sin, those who are living by the Spirit of God should restore them gently. Gently. My heart's desire for Fresh Start Church is the same desire that Paul had for the church in Galatia. I want us to be a place of forgiveness and restoration. Instead of shooting our wounded or, or stomping on them when they're down, I want us to exhibit the fruit of the Spirit of God, to be a place of grace, not a place of condemnation. Jesus said we should leave 99 sheep to go get the one that is lost, the one that's gone astray. And isn't it interesting that Paul says the law of Christ is fulfilled when you and I carry the burdens of sinners. The law of Christ to love one another is fulfilled when we carry the burdens of those in our family who fall 
into sin. Not separating them from the church, but restoring them gently to a, a, a right standing with God and with their church family. I, I want to say something as your pastor. And I hope you'll never forget this because I mean it from the depth of my heart. If you fall into sin, please don't push away. Please don't cut us off. I want to help you. I want to be there for you. I want to be able to encourage you. I want to see you healed. I want to see you forgiven. I want to see you in a great place with God. It breaks my heart that so many Christians, and I get it, I really do get it, that so many Christians, that when we start really messing up, we start really falling into sin, we stay away from the very place we need to be. I hate that. I hated it the day in my first church that I served in. That a man, he was a real introvert. He didn't talk much. He was there every Sunday, but he didn't talk much. And I'll never forget that Sunday because he sat on the front row and he normally didn't do that. And he just looked down the whole time. And I wish he'd come to me and said, I've fallen. I've fallen. I need help. He had been gambling over bowling. I mean, if you're a bowler, maybe that's common. I don't know. I just can't. I know I've never been able to bowl good enough that nobody, everybody bet against me. Nobody bet for me. And the debt just kept getting bigger and bigger and bigger until he owed tens of thousands of dollars from bowling over on A1A. It was in Satellite Beach. He fell, but nobody knew. He was embarrassed. He was ashamed. Looking back, I know that's why he sat there with his head down that day. He felt so depressed, so discouraged. He thought, there's no hope. There's no answer. If, the, if these people knew what I've done, if my wife knew what I've done, if anybody knew what I've done. But his if was wrong. Because if I knew what he'd done, I would have prayed with him and tried to encourage him and try to help him. And when we walked in, the house that night and I got a call that his mother or his wife got home and when the garage door went up he'd taken his life and we were over there soon after we went over that night and it broke my heart that he did that but then it really broke my heart over the reason and then it really broke my heart thinking, he didn't have to do that. We would have loved him and tried to help him and try to find a, a solution. Please, I don't... Everybody thinks, I haven't already heard about the kind of sin that you've fallen into. I've heard every story there is. Every story there is. Nothing shocks me. Nothing surprises me. You don't have to worry about that. But please, no. I want to be there for you. I don't want to see you cut off. I'm not going to cut you off, but don't cut us off either. Know that this is a place where you can come 
And you can say, man, here's what's happening. Here's what's happening. And we want to help you. And we want to restore you. And we want you to be the, the man of God, the woman of God that God created you to be. Please don't stay away. Please don't cut us off. One more verse. Ecclesiastes 4. It says, two are better than one. Why? If either of them falls down, one can help the other up. But pity anyone who falls and has no one to help them. Help the other. That's what we're talking about. When we fall, that we're there to help each other up. If you're not connected to a church family or if you're not connected to a church family that wants to be there for you and wants to help you up, you're going to be in real trouble when you fall. That's one of the reasons why we just started our life groups. Our life groups are so important because it's a safe place to come. What's said in life group stays in life group. And, and it's a safe place for us to come and encourage those that are struggling and be encouraged when we're the ones struggling. And what we've found already in just a couple of short weeks is we've all got very similar struggles going on. I want us to watch a short video as we close. And uh, there's a little bit of language that I missed and my son noticed earlier. Uh, so forgive me in advance if uh, language I wouldn't wouldn't use, but I think we need to see this. Bubba was my best good friend. I had to make sure he was okay.
always been a core value of the United States military. And it needs to be a core value within the church. Leave nobody behind. Leave nobody behind. Be willing to go and get dirty and messed up and shot and and do whatever it takes. As your pastor, unless you Cut me off and stay away and won't let me help. I'm, I'm going to come for you. I'm going to come for you and I'm going to try to restore you no matter where you go or what happens to you. And I want us as a church family to have that same commitment to each other. That we're going to be there for you. And I, and I want you to be that way with me when I mess up. That we're going to try to live as, as frail as we are and as faulty as we are. To take this passage of scripture seriously, so seriously, that lives can be changed. Many, many lives can be changed. Father... This is a tough topic. God, it's so much easier to condemn each other than love each other. It's so much easier to judge and criticize than to forgive. And it's so much easier to walk away from somebody that's fallen. But God, would you place your word, your plan for how we as Christ followers to treat each other. Would you place that deep in our hearts today that we would never forget it, that we would never forget it, that we would seek to be uh, led by your spirit, that would seek to be living in the power of your Holy Spirit, and that we would show the fruit of the spirit, not just to those who are nice and good to us, but to those who really really mess up. Not because it's okay to sin. Not because we approve of sin. But because we want to be like Jesus. Who forgave and redeemed us. God, thank you so much. That Jesus came for us even when we were dead in our sins. Give us that the heart of Jesus and the eyes of Jesus to see people the way he does. It's in his name that we pray. Amen.
Our ushers are going to come receive our offering this morning. And if you uh, thought of something to write down on your cards uh, during this time, that would be great. You can drop those in the offering as well. Uh, life group, 7 o'clock this week. We're, we're doing different than we've ever done in the past, men's group and women's group. And uh, I, I think it's been fruitful for us men to be able to just be together uh, for this time and, and for the women as well. And so I want to encourage you, if you haven't come yet, come. It, it really is just a real honest, authentic time together. And also uh, printed in your uh, outline there, our podcast now or online. So uh, anytime you're not here or if you hear a message and you think, boy, I, I would like for so-and-so to, to hear that, you can, you can go online, you can invite people to that, you can download it to your computer or listen online, whatever, whatever you'd like to do. Well, let's stand and worship this awesome God uh, that forgives us and